fellow travelers, and welcome to the Way of the Showman. I am Captain Frodo, and I will be your host in this air show, and I will be your guide along the way. And it's great to have you here back with me for another sojourn along the road here. And uh, I guess this week I am thinking mostly of uh, stuff related to the man aspect, the human aspect of the show man. The issues that have been going on lately for me in personal, in my personal life, is that I am just yet again faced with these questions that comes when we're a family, you know, a husband and a wife and a child, and what happens when the results of having traveled all my life together with them, when that then, and we start to need different things. What, what happens then? What are the choices that you take? Because it's not always necessarily that touring all the time is the best possible thing it has been for me. But as, um, as my daughter grows up and she's about to, you know, it's still a little while off, but she's about to turn 10 and it just makes me think of this poem of what's going on in her life. This, I'll, uh, Hang on, I'll find that poem for you. And the poem is by Billy Collins, an American poet. And uh, it just means, you know, we are not the same person throughout our life as we go through our life. There are different needs, and the needs of a child at four or, say, two are quite compatible with traveling on the road. But as they become more and more present and more and more incarnated into the world, their life situation changes and they need different things. So this poem captures a lot of this, what I feel is, is going on uh, in, in and around turning 10. The whole idea of it makes me feel like I'm coming down with something. Something worse than any stomach ache, or the headaches I get from reading in bad light. A kind of measles of the spirit, a mumps of the psyche, a disfiguring chickenpox of the soul. You tell me it is too early to be looking back, but that is because you have forgotten the perfect simplicity of being one, and the beautiful complexity introduced by two but I can lie on my bed and remember every digit. At four I was an Arabian wizard. I could make myself invisible by drinking a glass of milk a certain way. At seven I was a soldier, at nine a prince. But now I am mostly at the window, watching the late afternoon light. Back then it never fell so solemnly against the side of my treehouse and my bicycle never leaned against the garage as it does today. All the dark blue speed drained out of it. This is the beginning of sadness, I say to myself, as I walk through the universe in my sneakers. It is time to say goodbye to my imaginary friends. Time to turn the big first number. It seems only yesterday I used to believe that there was nothing under my skin but light. If you cut me, 
I could shine. But now, when I fall upon the sidewalks of life, I skin my knees, I bleed. How about that? Thanks, Billy Collins, for that. That's a bit of a, yeah, mindful to take all of that in. So, yeah, what happens then when you're coming more and more into the world and you're letting go of uh, of the imaginary friends, when you're letting go of the situation where fantasy and imagination was the key, when you're an Arabian wizard or you just had to drink a glass of milk in a certain way. And then as the light changes, you start to see a different world, a different world where you're not just filled with lights. <laughs> But if you fall, you bleed. And at that point, if you as a father in a family, you, you, if some of those things that would make it easy for you, and for me, that would be, you know, to go to Las Vegas, that would make it so easy. I'd just go to work five days a week like a normal person. But there's so much that we would lose in being with the larger family of that around here. So what do you do then? What do you do? I don't have any easy answers. All I want to say is that that along the way we will keep being challenged by these uh, these questions. And for those of us who have spent our life or any significant amount of time going along the way of the showman, performing and going from festival to festival, there comes a time when we have to lie in the bed that we've uh, made. And that is that we are itinerant and we meet people at different festivals and we do all sorts of different fun things. But then at some point, when you, if you, if you start to consider settling down for your own reason or because somebody you love uh, desires to be somewhere or needs somewhere to, of their own where they can spend enough of a, a significant amount of time to be able to form a true sense of belonging somewhere so that at least you have the feeling like you you left somewhere, because that was my feeling. I felt like I chose to leave. If I Im impose this itinerant lifestyle, then my daughter might never have had the chance to feel like she really belonged somewhere. So yeah, and the same goes if you have a partner that don't fully then, what do you do? don't fully enjoy uh, one place or another and there's um, diverging things going on. What do you, uh, diverging desires for what, what is needed? What do we then do with our life? I mean, these are things that I never thought of when I first set out, but they are the most present and prescient things these days. I have set up this lifestyle for myself and now I have to come and take some choices that impact very real and very direct on someone's life. So, you know, I've said it before, I think, on this here that this chapter is about her and uh, I guess I'm just venting a little bit as to what's going on in my tumultuous um, life at the moment. Uh, oh, it's not tumultuous. That's a bit of an exaggeration. There are still gigs going on. Well, at least it was at the time when I was recording this. Who knows what's going to happen with as we find out even more about this new virus. It's this podcast that I'm recording today is uh, by the time you hear it, we will have traveled further into the future. So 
it might all be quite clear now as I'm talking to you what's going on with the new virus, but uh, certainly the lockdowns and that, that uh, not lockdowns, but uh, restrictions at borders and everything that's um, happening at the moment. Uh, we'll see where that all turns up. We're not out of the thicket just yet. Anyway, that was a pretty somber introduction. Um, even though last time we, I guess we spoke about some uh, uh, large, uh, <laughs> large issues uh, last time too, like what is a showman, and we talked about the meaning in life. And of course, it's part of the meaning that we find in life is uh, that we didn't talk so much about last time is finding that those you love around you, that uh, that they, we can all thrive. So in that, there is a certain sort of to accept that sometimes to to make like when you are in a family or you are as I was for a big part of my life I was in a show then you are just one cog in that show so although I am Captain Frodo I am myself and I was always that for instance with the Happy Side Show we did have to tour around and it, all of us needed to make ourselves available and for that it needed to be a, I am Captain Frodo from the Happy Side Show I needed to identify with that as well because we were you know, it's like that, um, like the leg of a chair is the leg of a chair, but it is it becomes itself through becoming part of something greater. And there are, like, it's part of the chair you know, on its own. It's kind of nothing. I mean, obviously, I was maybe more uh, useful to the world or myself than a chair of a leg is to a chair, or <laughs> by if by itself. But uh, the point is the same. Sometimes you have to be part of a greater whole to, and that comes with a certain kind of uh, sacrifice. You can't just go for your every whim or whatever. So that's part of the meaning of life that we didn't really uh, talk about uh, last time. Cause, uh, but we talked about meaning in life and we talked about the absurd that it's all going to matter you know, later on or whatever. And uh, we ended up with thinking that it is all about love and it's about including everybody. I did talk there a little bit about my daughter, how she's part of me and I can, we are separate, but we're also a unit through love and shared biology. So she is an expansion of myself and that's why I am now in such an existential quandary, not necessarily because I'm not happy where I am or where, but... I'm being pulled between finding like, ah, this aspect of myself, of family, of the chair, of the whole, is has is starting to get something that I think potentially could be different needs and that they could be better served somewhere else. So and this is it's just a very real way how this uh, I am more than myself in those people that I love around me. So being part of that this is to how it this is how um what life is i guess it's to try to blend all of these things together and uh, find a best way out we're all a little bit in the dark as we go on with these things we're making it up as best as we can but uh, if your heart's in the right place then perhaps they will forgive you even if you take the wrong choice and that goes for the being on stage too, I guess. Sometimes we take the wrong choice on stage and we realize that the audience uh, didn't come along with you. And, you know, <laughs> better luck next time. I don't know. I think we're doing all right. And I think I'm doing all right, even though I had to share all of this. So 
Um, today we're going to talk about uh, you know, two sort of separate issues, and uh, yeah, I won't talk any more about them. I just like uh, to dive straight into it. Yes, today I would like to look at look at um, novelty and creativity and pick up the thread what we spoke about last time of how the audience is part of us and how we are part of a community and uh, and what I just talked about here about being the leg of a chair or one quarter of the happy sideshow or one third of a family so being both an individual and something greater what are these collective contributions to um two matters of the novelty and of creativity because you know they are important issues for us show folk because part of what keeps people entertained and what grabs their attention is novelty you know seeing something new attracts attention and a showman is sometimes called a novelty act particularly in britain it's oh he's a novelty act that's what i am and i always used to like that uh, that kind of calling oh that kind of name novelty act i'm bringing something new creativity and uh, and the new is a stock in trade in our business but if we look at creativity and novelty with a duality of showman and audience in mind, then I think we can get a, an expanded understanding of both. So when we talk about creativity or novelty, it is most often thought of as something that springs from one unique artist's imagination, a unique snowflake artist which spawns beautiful and creative new artworks by the virtue of his own special brain or soul and I think that a healthy dose of humility can be injected into these notions by understanding how dependent this novelty of the creation is on other human beings I mean we spoke about some of these things before like we talk Brian Eno's talk about seniors and all this so we've already of course touched on this that uh, genius the, the lone genius might be a little bit of a myth but if we by creativity mean an idea or an action or an act that is new and valuable then we can't just accept the creator's own account of how they got their idea as the criteria for its existence one artist might say and believe that their action or in the world like their act or their creation is something brand new under the sun they might say like I, I created this in perfect isolation and it is a genuine example of creation from nothing creation from nothing creation creatio ex nihil a godlike act but there is no way to know whether something is new but for a reference to some standards standards that are set by a community a people and there's no way to tell whether some creation is valuable until it passes social evaluation and therefore I think it's fair to say that creativity does not just happen inside people's heads but in the interaction between a person's thought um, all the thoughts and, uh, and the social cultural context context it's a systemic rather than an individual process because I might have developed something crazy and unique and it might turn out that nobody is interested. 
if that was like an outsider art kind of thing that might and i there was left a trace of it like i painted a painting then maybe this thing would be found in a hundred years and they go oh it was so ahead of its time but if we are performers and i did a show and nobody liked it then unless i turned it into video art and put it on the internet and made some something else out of it then that thing would just kind of be gone and it wouldn't have served much of a purpose so there's a limit to how new something can be or how creative it can be if it's just got no reference. You need to bring people along with you. But let's get a bit more specific. Like how many times hasn't it happened, for those of you who are in the business of magic, well, um, you might know this specifically, and if not, you can just imagine your way into it, that it happens that somebody sits at home and develops a new move with cards, which makes some sort of magic effect possible. And then they publish it, you know, maybe they publish it, they're lucky enough to know somebody who works in a magazine or whatever, and they publish it in some magic magazine, and then another fellow magician might point out upon reading this, or maybe they just show it to them, that this mo move that you have just made was indeed first described in the Jinx magic magazine by Theodore Anneman in, say, 1940. Then, if that other magician is extra helpful, they might also cite the many variations and publications that your brand new, in quotation mark, this brand new idea has been featured in. They might say, oh, it was also came from here, it came from there, and it has maybe appeared many places or different variations of it until you actually created it out of nothing. And many of the ideas in, in this podcast season that I have been fretting and wondering about and puzzling together over a long time sometimes already appear fully formed and fleshed out in the works of others. I mean, the philosopher Hans-Georg Gadamer turns out that this idea that I have with the showman and uh, and uh, the audience and the uh, work of art being the show, being something more in between them. He, that is exactly what he talks about. I only learned about that last year after I got back uh, to Norway from leaving Las Vegas. Then through a podcast that I heard and where I'm a Norwegian art thinker and teacher, professor, was talking about a book that he'd written and then I read his book because there was some things that he spoke about in that one, that one interview that triggered this in me and then I found out his ideas and I go, oh, well, they're very overlapping. And then from reading that book called The Thinking Artist, that uh, <laughs> I found that um, actually some of these ideas are directly coming from this philosopher's words. Amazing. I might have mentioned that last, uh, you know, sometime in the first season of how mind-blowing this is. But, but this happens all the time that you actually think of something, and this maybe ties up to. I'm just riffing now, but it ties up to what I talked to Eric Orberg and uh, Jay Gilligan about uh, this at some point of, like, how important it is to know history and how. Someone had pointed out to Eric Orberger, this is from one of their object episode lessons, actually. So, um, not object episodes. Yeah, and they talked uh, talked about how in an architecture school, for instance, you learn the history of architecture so that you know how you sit in, uh, in, that, uh, in that history. And that is not a common thing for everybody to learn. What is the development of all the acts and everything, like the history of circus and the history of performance, art, and all these different directions we could do by knowing about those things, you can see how you sit in 
within that and knowing the different acts that have existed you might know and then thereby be more certain that you have under learned something new you know not learned or created or that thing so it is important that I've you know I've been thinking about these ideas and, and I've had these ideas myself but um, if I then discover it like I did in uh, someone else and this philosopher has of course gone on you know, in, in uh, pages and pages upon these things and I find it mind-blowing that he is so close to what I have been thinking but you know then I have to make sure that rather than this then making me think that my work has lost some of its originality then I am should just consider myself happy to see that my meandering thoughts are more than just random noise or or whatever there are people out there with degrees and professorships or incredible track records for creating impressive shows that are thinking the exact same things that I am thinking and quite often you know that terminology or structures are vastly different but still with the right squinting I see my ideas reflected so it's in in this context of other people that we both learn if something is truly new and also if this something new is just new or is it also meaningful can it become important to the to the world when i show it and to be that it must connect to others that i just sort of riffed about before and in a sense it is made so by others by their response and this this is what makes the act or the artwork transcend something done in potential uh, ignorance into something connecting to the world at large. I mean, I was reading this book by Henry Bortoft about, well, it doesn't matter. He just made this point um, that meaning and understanding is part of the same process that something only becomes meaningful if it is understood by someone if i present something on in an act or in a show to an audience and they just don't understand it if they grasp it if it fails to keep their attention or whatever then it doesn't matter how much meaning i put into mine when it isn't experienced by the audience or and understood then they don't know what to do with it and if it was in the archetypal show showman situation of standing on a market square and trying to pull in the crowd for a street show then they would just walk away and in that sense there is then no connection to the world no understanding and uh, here, here humility comes in again I think part of connecting to something larger like to make sure that we are that this show project that we have all of us who are along the way of the showman is about finding that balance between seeing oneself as the author of one's own life and ideas but at the same time knowing that we are also part of a scene or a community of of we're also part of humanity on a bigger scale and this in a sense is to recognize both our limitations but also our our um um, what is it called? Our, um, uh, how we are part of a whole. 
Like, I am involved in a huge process, and I speak for my own inner conviction, but this is informed by my information, sensory, intellectual, or emotional from other people as well. Like, they, I am the mirror that they look into, and if they don't recognize what they see, then uh, they will fail to grasp it and walk away. So humility is to be aware of our true human capacity for greatness and for failure, for insights and ignorance, for overview and narrow minds, for ourselves as individuals and as part of a whole. The part only making sense when viewed in relation to the whole and vice versa. This is the hermeneutic uh, circle. Recognizing this, I say we are, um, in a roundabout way, arriving at a kind of showman ethics, not just in the sense of doing the morally correct thing, but also to strive towards becoming the best person, leading the best kind of life, and have that sort of, to be a part of the whole, we need to fit in in every kind of way and be meeting people with this in mind. We want to connect to them and we want to have understanding, because only within that does meaning appear in in our meeting because ultimately when we are doing our shows we're not just showing our material and the character that we have pre-prepared in whatever structure that might be ultimately we are also on show i am also on show or you are also on show being a showman for me is the common thread in my career and it's the common thread in anyone who's a dedicated performer whatever material you present whatever you're showing you're also constantly showing yourself i mean that's this is my opinion some people just put on a face and you go in and this is separate from my life but the more we you know when we went through the pandemic and we feel like we're our, my identity is connected up to what i do and i just read this interesting post by a a girl I know who has um, um, been injured and you've been out for six months and how she too, like so many of us, we just have our identity is so connected up. If you're an acrobat, it's not just your name, you are. You are, like I said, of the of the Happy Sideshow. I'm Captain Frodo from the Happy Sideshow. This is who I am in such a real way. And um, there is the show but there is also the man, which is what I spoke about in the very beginning. And the man and the show are both on display when a showman is on stage. And the things that we present, like magic dance or sword swallowing or juggling, they're activities which has a certain broad appeal, but not everybody loves card tricks or sword swallowing. There are people out there who quite explicitly claim they hate juggling clowns or what have you. And this might certainly be the case, just like there are people who don't like poetry, classical music or football. Yet, there is a further element in all these activities which can serve as an alternate route to the meeting point of interest. And this is you. This is me. This is the human aspect. People frequently tell me, after my shows, that they didn't particularly like what I did with like dislocations and sword swallows, what have you, but they still loved watching me. And a passionate or indeed obsessed juggler can connect with an audience which might not have any preconceived attitude to juggling. 
they simply do not think about it and they can connect with the audience by the fact that they are meeting a, that the audience is meeting a real person on that stage this just happened like a couple of weeks ago and I might even have mentioned it on the podcast but I can't quite remember what I do in these pre-rambles when I just riff off the script but that there was a guy that came up that had been a uh, was an amateur theater uh, performer and uh, and instructor and he came up and he was just he was captured by this humanity and wanted to kept trying to make this distinction between who I was when I was on stage and the material that I did which is amazing because a lot of the time people just can't see that that's two different things or whatever but um, he really felt like he could glimpse my humanity in it and he really liked it and anyway so the audience they can have an indifference to the material that we are going to present and perhaps uh, sporadically there might be even some hostility to uh, juggling or whatever I'm performing with the show called Wallman's at the moment we're doing a tour around uh, Norway and uh, and um, <laughs> in there one of the songs that the other group the other guys in the guys and girls in the show that uh, they're doing a song and one of the songs is like this is a sports themed little uh, section of medley of songs and one of them is the song from I can't remember which well, it might be Liverpool or something one of these football songs and every now and then people they get so hostile that they come up on stage or they start to throw something or whatever because they can't it's <laughs> they can't take it that they're so they just, and that's just an example of sometimes the audience gets hostile, even if it is a slightly playful way. It's still this rage that cooks up in people. They've had just enough to drink and they can't handle it, and they, somebody stands up or boos or whatever. Not because of the, any lacking in the performance, but because of a dislike of the material. The performer is still maybe a nice guy, but he now is doing something you don't like, singing your. Uh, some football team that you hate's anthem and but in here if you do your maybe that's an extreme example how would you manage to overcome that uh, uh, <laughs> dislike of uh, your your nemesis themes uh, theme song nem nemesis uh, nemesis theme team's song how do you deal with the fact that they're doing their theme song can you connect can you make them connect to the person on stage and allow you to um <laughs> allow you to what do you call it thrill them with this uh, song can you do that that would be a major challenge but the kind of general sporadic hostility or dislike of juggling or they think they don't like somebody who's a clown or whatever you the best possible way to get through that is to have the audience connect to the person on stage as a real human being and that's you and the audience does not necessarily have to share a juggler's passion for juggling but the passion and enthusiasm that the juggler has this is a deep point of interest the juggler who manages to express their humanity can reach even the most prejudiced anti-juggling fiend. Can it be with football? I don't know. But not everybody loves juggling or circus, but everybody loves something. 
not everybody is passionate about juggling or dislocations and not everybody is deeply passionate about anything but still they might like to share in a passion of others i'd go it's not just that they might like we we love that we enjoy watching movies and stories where the hero wants something and it's script writing one-on-one to present what the hero wants early on and then keep the hero from getting what she wants let's say The desire is to slay the dragon to save her child or stop the Ark of the Covenant from falling into the hands of Nazis. All of these are just manifestations of a strong desire in a protagonist. You might not care about a dragon in a far-off and indeed made-up fantasy world, but you can passionately identify with the hero's desire. In the field of showbiz, there are many skills which are shared. There are many magicians who perform the cups and balls or the linking rings and there are many acrobats who does a handstand and then performs a handstand on only one hand whether you're on a trapeze or you juggle there is a certain amount of what you do which is part of a kind of common domain or the limits of this what belongs to one person the gray areas of intellectual property and what constitutes stealing is a complex topic but for now it's enough to just mention that it exists The fact of the matter is that a lot of performers are in a large degree using the same tools and tricks of the trade. There are also many people in the world who squeezes themselves through a tennis racket. The reason I have managed to make a career out of it is not based on the fact that I can squeeze myself through a racket. Perhaps in the very beginning this was the central point of interest in the act. I thought so, and the audience probably also thought so, but along the way the act became less about the fact that I could do it and more about how I did it and about me. The way I behave, the confetti I throw, the slapstick falls, and the fighting with the microphone and the stand, and my attitude to it all, this becomes the focus. It was when the focus shifted from the plot in the act, I can squeeze myself through, Uh, the racket to the character's struggle on the way through that that my tennis act found a deeper resonance with audiences and the more the act became about me the stronger it got the point i am making is that your greatest asset is you you as one of the many the one who walked with the crowd and turned around to face the others you the most valuable thing you have to present is you and you want your clients and your audience to be booking you for who you are and and how you do something rather than for the thing that you perform if all they want is someone who can squeeze through a tennis racket they can probably find a cheaper artist than me and a quick search will no doubt give you plenty of options And if, on the other hand, you want me to do it in the way that I do it, you will have to book me. This is related to how when you buy a, with no comparison, but when you buy a Vincent van Gogh painting of a chair, you won't just be happy with a random painting of a chair. You want this painting of a chair because van Gogh painted it or whatever. And that goes for whether you're going to buy just a print or you're going to buy... the original as certain people might be want to do and this is why this whole way of the showman goes so thoroughly to work on uh, not just what we do but also who we are i have 
found that as I understand my place in the world and my role in the world, I've discovered that what I feel is a kind of moral imperative to the vocation. Nothing, and when I'm saying moral, it's nothing more than what your grandmother might have told you was good common sense and common courtesy, but it still feels like a big deal to make claims like this today. As this sort of exploration shows, we are in a choppy and complex waters when we navigate navigate these kind of enormous questions of meaning in life and understanding. And, and there's always a balance of ourself and others, our personal meaning and our relational meaning and our novel creations as part of a whole. And the key insight to take away is for me that with this expanded definition of showman as carrying in the audience, we find a deep and powerful connection point to the world, something which gives us power as agents of change and influence. And as Stan Lee said in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibilities. Mm. And these insights have certainly had a deep impact on me and my life as the sort of preamble before this of how it keeps sort of coming up like you'd you're not just you. You're always more than that. It's my community. It's my family. And the choices I take and the inspirations that I have are all just mixed together in, uh, in deep and, uh, and uh, richly interconnected ways. Always. We are unique, but we're also connected and part of a whole. So, yeah, hopefully that... Um, um, makes sense to you uh, as a something to think about and contemplate that your originality can only really shine and come to be foregrounded by seeing yourself in the as part of a spectrum of other performers and uh, yeah so leaving this idea of uh, how knowing what's new knowing what's novel, knowing what is a true creative creation, that that is dependent on other people. I would like to change gears, take you down another little side path, and um, I would like to go deeper and look a little bit closer at uh, the very beginning of... Because this is what we are going through here now, of course. It is a deepening exploration of who the showman is meaning who are we because we've just discovered that we have the pillars of showmanship as the audience and the, the showman and the emergence of the show where they meet that comes alive through the attention we've talked about that in the anatomy of showmanship and um, as we mentioned here in the last episodes or so we are now exploring the showman so now let's have another deep more metaphorical and more symbolic look at the showman and that starts with i am going deeper i am a showman first and foremost it's a showman i am now this is from the showman's manifesto and in this, the statement, I am a showman, then 
the speaker of this shares both their standpoint and also the origin of his point of view. He is a showman, someone who does shows. This is the origin of his point of view. This point has a dual reality. It exists both in the outer geography of the world and in a more philosophic inner way as well. These two aspects comes together to shape who he is and his way of interacting with the world. It shapes his understanding of existence. And this is the way for those who take the calling seriously, who we are, our innate tendencies and inclinations, and just as importantly, the stories we tell ourselves about our actions and inclinations and who we are dictates how we fit into the world and how we understand it. Thus we see that the opening declaration of the manifesto goes much deeper than a mere introduction. It's not, hi, I am Jenny, or hi, I am Fred Olson. It's deeper than name and individuality. It is not just about who you are in your everyday life. It is also about how you interact with the world. I am a showman. And in an otherwise terse poem, without any repeating chorus, the only repetition that is found in the showman's manifesto uh, is found in these opening lines. The statement of I am a showman is repeated with only a minor flip of the words, first and foremost, it's a showman I am. This is a repetition. And since I've chosen to take this poem that I talked about in one of the very first episodes of this second season, that you can go back and listen to, I would say that this, the fact that it is repeated in the beginning here points to the importance of these words. They are the starting point, where the showman begins, and thus where the showman's story and role begins. And of course it is not just repeated right here in this very sentence, I am a showman first and foremost, it's a showman I am, it's also repeated at the end of the poem as well. When I present the manifesto in a show, the I is very clearly about me, Captain Frodo, it is me who is the showman. And when I read it as a poem, then I, I think that the use of the I, the first person singular, can in a very real way be transformed in the reading uh, when anyone else reads it to become about whoever, whomever it is that the reader is. The I becomes eternalized, internalized by the reader, and through the immediacy of the poem, the I of the poem potentially fuses, or hopefully fuses, with the I of the reader. In this way, the I of the poem becomes every walker of the way. I am a showman. Specifically, you know, we talked about this in the As If episode of the first season of If You keep saying something, it becomes part of who you are and it becomes part of um, what you actually believe. So, if you ever are to change yourself, then find some poetry and that you resonate with and learn it off by heart. The words, I am, are quite singular as their meaning indicates the core being of whomever utters them. To say, I am, is to say, I exist. The meaning of these words are necessarily self-referential. You can't say, I am, and refer to anyone else. The one who utters them is the one who is. 
and I am taking the existence of a self here as a gospel in these explorations for the way to make sense there needn't exist a separate supernatural soul or even a as a separate singular self unchanging inside our heart or mind or wherever it might be thought to be residing the very strong feeling of self that we all have at least the vast majority of us experience this and this is enough for the starting point of this and the self that is inside us is in constant flux. I'm not the same self as my seven-year-old self, but for our discussion here and mere shared experience we have when we exclaim, I am, this is enough for the I that I'm talking about here. I guess I'm uh, making that little qualification because anyone who has uh, done any Buddhist kind of uh, meditations or whatever, where one you might discover that there is this thing called the no-self, that you discover that there is nothing, in no, no thing inside you that is yourself. So throwing that aside and not dealing with that at another time, let's go cosmic. Because on a grander cosmic scale, um, what better beginning to it all could it be than I am, I exist, these this is the first words, and in a sense they are what comes before the poem, the manifesto, as such starts. There is nothing, just the white of the page or silence before the words, like the prologue in the theatre from Goethe's Faust, which is something that we're going to get to. Uh, this is something that happens before the main story there, and we will look at this prologue later in uh, in uh, in a later chapter. But... It's uh, it's this thing that happens almost before the poem, this uh, I am. And a Christian doctrine, this tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And joining on to this, I also find it interesting that the first time God introduces himself by name, he says to Moses, I am who I am. And that's what uh, God said in quotation marks. That's like he actually said that. And he said, so this is like to read this as a quote from Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So Moses was to tell the other people that he met later that... Uh, I am has sent me to you. Now that is a very weird sentence because that goes back to that stuff that I talked about before. You can't really say that. I am has sent me to you. That that doesn't make any sense. But then again, God is probably here speaking in a, in a context that is difficult to grasp for us who are uh, finding ourselves as a uh, just a <laughs> singular expression of uh, existence and uh, God being, of course, the whole un, <laughs> um, unlimited expression of everything. So anyway, this idea of a link between I am and a God within is something that we will re revisit when we look closer at enthusiasm. Or, well, actually, we have actually looked at this a little bit before because that the etymology or the etymological root of Enthusiasm means to be possessed by a god or having a god within oneself. It's the divine spark in us all. So with that, you know, seeing 
the opening of the manifesto from this grand cosmic point of view, we meet the showman in first person as the creator of what we are about to read or to hear. The showman as a creator of a universe is also something we will encounter later in the manifesto when it says, when the showman performs on a market square, he creates a universe. And this is this universe that he creates is in fact not just created by him it is creating in concert in full participation with the audience there's this universe and that's the emergence of the show but as the showman declares i am he is simultaneously making a pledge and offering up an explanation so let's explore both the pledge and the explanation starting with the explanation angle because in the statement i am a showman he is sharing his standpoint and his origin of his point of view as we talked about briefly before and this point is a place both in the outer geography of the world where he is a fellow who does tricks and recites poetry but also in a more philosophical inner way and by having internalized things like his interconnectedness with the audience of the world like we talked about in last episode these two aspects uh, of inner and outer comes together to shape who the showman is and the inner and outer and the audience and showman it all of this it it colors his attitude his way of interacting with the world and his way of understanding the world this is the way for all of us who we are our innate tendencies and inclinations and just as important the stories we tell ourselves about our actions inclinations and who we are it dictates how we fit into the world and um, you know and how we understand it and thus how we act in the world if we are telling a boring understated story about ourselves this shapes us and in many ways that's the story the world tells us when they can't take our vocation seriously when they ask if this is our real job our vocation often ends up becoming the lowest common denominator the clown in the yellow plastic wig juggling scarves and blowing up balloons in the shopping mall by changing the stories we tell ourselves we can change the inner experience of the one who says i am and thus change him in the outer world as well if we read the i am a showman as a pledge instead then the i am of the poem is completely and fundamentally committing to the identity of showman to be a showman and follow the way as it unfolds from that commitment this is what it means to make a pledge to solemnly promise to be true to something it is the showman's promise to take his calling seriously he will perform his duties as a showman to the best of his abilities from this single point of i am we then get this more expanded view from which we shall discover the way the one becomes a multitude he takes on the fact that his existence is predicated on others he is important and singular but also a part of a larger process the pledge is made by an individual but that individual is completely inseparable from the more general concept of showman which is part of the process of showmanship which again is but a mirror of life itself everything is connected there are singular moments singular beings and singular events but it is all a great big flow of change 
And going on on the topic of repetitions in the manifesto, the observant reader or dedicated follower of the way will be aware that the first stanza, the declaration, is repeated in full at the end of the poem. The I am declaration neatly bookends the manifesto. And wiser thinkers than I have pointed out that in a text condensed by telling and retelling in the way very old stories and myths have been, the process eventually boils the story down to its quintessence, and in the telling and retelling over multiple generations, like in myths and, and you know, or the origin, what's it called, like the genesis and things like that, um, generally we're, we're eventually we're left with just the most important and meaningful structures. Repetition, if unnecessary, would disappear, and its repeated existence in the poem, I take this to be a point of significance. The manifesto obviously hasn't been passed down through generations, at least not to my knowledge. If anyone else out there also have been given the manifesto as a transmission from their guiding star, then please contact me on captainfrodo.com. But the manifesto has been repeated many times in public, though, by me, through several seasons. Uh, both here, I've mentioned it both in the last season of this podcast and in the current season, and in seasons performing in front of live audiences. Presenting it as an act in my shows has a similar effect on cutting the material down to its essential, and the repetition not only has avoided being cut, but is a strong structural feature that the audience really responds to. And the different position of the declaration at the beginning and the end means that the words are the same whilst the meaning has changed and deepened significantly in the final, final declaration. They are the same, yet not the same at all. And the first is uttered in innocence and the last in experience, as um, William Blake might have said it. But it also reminds me of uh, T.S. Eliot's words um, from Four Quartets, where he says, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring the end of all our, our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. We've all, we all have a tendency to lose ourselves on our own journey along the way. Sometimes we have to go back to the very beginning to revisit our foundations and to make sure that our compass still points a true course. In the writing of this book that has become this season that was afforded by the loss of work by the COVID-19 pandemic, the collapse of stages throughout the world. And I have been able to go back to the beginning in my mind and start the explorations anew. The world is different this time around. With the benefits of hindsight, I am seeing things differently. Things I thought mattered a whole lot might not have been so important and vice versa. But it, it all starts and ends with the declaration, this declaration, I am, I am a showman.
and an important aspect of AA, the Alcoholics Anonymous, is that, hi, my name is whatever it is, and I am an alcoholic. And this, in that regard, is uh, regarded as the, as the first step towards recovery, to become a better version of yourself, to accept who you are, and the foundations of a meaningful life starts there. Accept who you are, know thyself, who you are and your role in the world, your heart's desire, the little spark inside you of enthusiasm that pulls you and points you with your attention and engagement towards the important, towards what's important to you. And this becomes the lens through which you can focus and narrow the world down. And for the world is for the world is 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 too vast and rich to be one thing. You must choose your stand, your vantage point, and interpret it all from there as it comes towards you, and you as you seek it out you know I used to like this I am you used like this this I am is a tool like the hero's sword or hammer or or invisibility cloak which can bring order to the chaos of the world and the tool is helpless without a will to wield it but still tools are powerful a sword has great potential power for accidental destruction which can bring more chaos into the world than it takes away and the will wielding the sword must know themselves and their role in the stage of life, or on the stage of life. Are you a force for good or for bad? Each action with your sword can swing both ways. A showman can waste your time. All an audience gets from this is to get some help to pass the time. Mindless entertainment, reality TV, soaps and sitcoms robs the audience of the little time they have left after a mindless day at the dishwashing detergent tablet wrapping factory. They have stacked cardboard boxes for eight hours and commuted for another hour and fifteen minutes. They're exhausted. And then comes the relief. Mindless colour and movement. A sigh of relief as the last possibilities for fanning the little spark in their heart, if it's even alive enough to feel. But then... It slips away in the sand as the TV images cross-fades into their own dream images. Their dreams becomes the content and desires of shampoo commercials. Wants what they want in the shampoo commercials and the like. Thus, even their dreams become mindless wants and tasks on repeat. And lest we forget, they are also part of you. So when you are presenting mindless drivel, if you have not placed substance into your show, your dreams are like shampoo commercials too. The rebellion to the absurdity of life starts with the declaration, I am. This is my place. This is my sword to fight the chaos. This is my calling. And the literal calling out of the words for others to hear, I am, is where it all begins. After that comes who you are or what you are. You are a showman, you say? What is that? In that exploration we will continue on um, as we go. Wow. Big thoughts, big ideas, and uh, it all starts just very rambling in the beginning here, and I of what to do with our life and how to connect it all up and how to do the right thing for your family and how to do the right thing for the community and all of this and it goes uh, cosmic and huge and 
it is good to have at least certain things certain in my life. Like, I am a showman. And I have that pretty, pretty nailed down. I think the pandemic and doing a little bit of other things for a little while has really helped me see just how important that is to me. And thus also the family. So we'll just have to find ways to make it all work. Well, for now, I would just like to thank you for coming along on one more trip. If you know anyone who you think would be interested, it would be very, I would be very appreciative if you could tell them, refer someone to it, even if it's just one person, or, you know, share it on your social media. That is by far the biggest help that you could do um, to me. And uh, if you like what I do, then that's all I ask for. If you, on the other hand, would like to go one step further and actually contribute economically, then you can do that by buying me a coffee or the equivalent of that, that money on buymeacoffee.com slash Captain Frodo. You can find me on Instagram and on uh, uh, Facebook as uh, Frodo Santini or Captain Frodo. And uh, you can find my website, captainfrodo.com, if you are one of those people who are interested in that kind of antique thing it's been a pleasure chatting to you again looking forward to next time already and with that said all that's left to be said is uh, take care of yourself and those you love and I hope to see you along the way (laughs) 